guys, so welcome to another episode of The Wild Sorrel. So this is episode 7. This episode was a pain in the bum to record because we kept having technical difficulties where either my iPad died because I just wasn't charging or ran out of internet and then Jessica, our guest for this week, um, her phone died when we tried to re-record. So there's a few day gap in between recordings and we still haven't finished technically the second recording yet so I'm just gonna release these as different parts because we just ramble on nothing stays the same because of the gaps in between and you know what that's okay because we touch so many different topics and it was such a pleasure to record with her I enjoyed it and I hope you guys enjoy it too my name is Jessica Pancost and I'm the owner operator head trainer of Thunderbird Equine I've been operating professionally for about, let's see, it's 2020, oh gosh, 2022, uh, about four years now, and I've been training horses my entire life. Well, that's fairly new that you finally gone pro on it. Is by, what do you mean by professionally? Is like advertising and having social media accounts? How do you consider um, professional? I've had my social media account for quite a while. Um, definitely longer than I've gone professional, but what really, what really turned it professional for me was I applied for my own LLC Mm -hmm. and I, um, I started making money off of it. I started making a livable, livable wage off of it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I guess that would be Um, considered professional when you're actually fully living on it. Right. Um, you're doing something, right? Right. Beforehand, when I was um, doing it, uh, just to kind of, it was more of a supplemental income. Mm-hmm. And I had a bunch of other jobs. Like, I was a wrangler at a dude ranch. Um, gosh, I was a personal trainer before. Oh, wow. Uh, I, went to, I went to school at ASU for astrophysics. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Okay, horsewoman, wrangler, astrophysic, personal trainer. (laughs) All of the everything. I really did it all. And, you know, the funny thing is, is my family, we, let's see, I I figured it out the other day, and I think I am a fourth generation cattle rancher. And, let's see, we are... Gosh, my family settled in Colorado in 1860, and we've been doing farm and ranch stuff since about that time. There's okay. a there's a reservoir in Boulder, Colorado, named the Valmont Reservoir. But when it first got established, it was the Pancost Reservoir because we dug it. Oh wow! Um, right. Why did the name change? Um, you know, I honestly don't know. I couldn't figure out the, I never figured out the history behind it. Um, I kind of never, I guess I never had wanted to just because I had already known that little tidbit already that I was kind of like, yep, that's good enough for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can see the satisfaction, um, but that's really cool. Yeah, I thought it was pretty neat too. Um, I, I would assume that the reason that they changed it is because we sold that property and moved to a different part of Boulder. So it was no longer, you know, owned by the Pancosts. It was just built by them. So that that was probably the best guess that I could take. Yeah, that probably. 
Not everything can uh, keep the same name unless it's historical. Yeah. And, um, I guess technically it's historical because we're one of the pioneer families of Colorado, but I, I don't really know how all that works in Boulder County and all that jazz. I just, I know the stories that I've been told and that I've looked up myself. I mean, I spent an entire day, Boulder's probably about, oh, two hours away from where I live right now. And uh, I spent one day just traipsing around Boulder and the they have a little record area mm-hmm. where you can dig up some family history. And I spent the entire day just looking through that stuff. It was pretty fascinating. I mean, most of it was just newspaper clipping, excuse me, clippings of, you know, births and deaths and marriages and things like that. But some of the other stories were pretty cool. Like I figured out my... Uh, I know we're supposed to be talking about horses, but here we go. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> my uh, grandpa, my great grandpa, so my grandpa's dad, um, was hit by a train. Oh sh- When he was when my grandpa was fourteen, and he killed him. Oh my god. Um. Yeah, and so as far as so, I saw the newspaper article on that, and basically what happened is his car stalled over the tracks, and he lost his brakes and stuff and it just ended up landing. It came down a hill and ended up landing on these train tracks and the train just absolutely smoked him. Jesus. um, Oh my gosh, I know. It's insane. You can't, can you imagine, I mean, I'm sure there are people that still die like that, but even still back then, I mean, those piddly little cars that they were driving before, like, oh my goodness, that there was absolutely no protection. I mean, I'm sure that the car did more damage than it did good oh 100% no they were not but anyway they were not built that great that's for sure no but anyway back to the whole original spiel um I started training horses professionally when I started making a livable when I knew I could start making a livable wage off of it and that was about four years ago nice well like I said you're doing something right if uh, you're making money off of it Right, which is, that's very true, and I'm very blessed to have a lot of the clients that I do. I mean, because it seems as though everybody's really, I'm not trying to bash performance horse trainers, they just do it a lot differently than I do. Um, It seems that a lot of performance horse trainers, you know... The horses don't last. Sorry? The horses don't last. Exactly. They're not... Either physically they don't last or mentally something happens. Mentally they don't. And I really enjoy making horses and spending as much time as I can with them. Like when I say that a horse is going to get 90 days under saddle, they're going to get 90 days under saddle. Mm -hmm. And it, it just seems like I don't see... I like to take my time. I really do. I like to... It's not a it's not a rush. It's not a competition. It's not, and that's the thing behind. I hate futurities. No, I don't. A little bit, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't decided because the thing is, is that when it comes to futurities, everybody, the horses are getting younger that are being competed on. Um, they're getting worked harder. They're getting grown up. I say that quote end quote. Um, faster by 
I gotta say, the feeds that we can feed young horses now are quite amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked for a couple different breeding barns, and really the difference between... I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and really the difference between just your average garden variety colt that grows up from, you know, weanling, yearling, two-year-old, and just kind of looks kind of, you know, not very muscular, but it's a horse. You can tell that for sure. And the difference between that and a performance horse that was raised and bred to be a performance horse, I think, is the feed program. 100%. I agree. Because I, I truly, I've seen it with my own eyes. I mean, especially even the feed that I feed right now, I've, it's made a huge difference for my horses that are in training even, whether they're bred to do it or not. The horses in training, oh my gosh, like the feed... It, I think it makes a massive, massive difference. What do you feed? I feed total equine. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you like do you, do you go like full out on it or you're very basic? Nope, I go full out on it. Um, typically, depending on the workload that they have, they get two to three scoops a day of total equine, and they get free fed alfalfa. Okay. And I think that that's also another. Uh, again, I'm not an expert by any means on feed, but I know from working people from training people that in order for their muscles to develop because when you do any kind of weight training or working out and the same is true for horses when you do the same kind of workouts what happens is your muscles physically have micro tears mm-hmm. in them and protein is needed to repair those micro tears I and agree. typically that protein yes and typically that protein is needed right away which is something that I do that's kind of a little I've heard it's taboo in the horse world, but I don't think it is because it works great for me. I feed horses. I give them grain right after I work them. Okay. After they cool down, of course. So everybody's going to – there's going to be arguments about this 100%, and I'm just going to say my opinion on this. I agree with you 100% on this. I um, I graduated with equine nutrition from university, and I've done – major research I've got articles out on nutrition like I can send you some links and the horse was domesticated so we can we can domesticate the horse but we cannot domesticate their their digestive system so exactly there no matter what their digestive system was developed to survive out in the wild and the horses are constantly grazing out in the wild yes 18 hours. Is it 16 or 18 hours of grains time? 18 hours. Um, 18 hours. You're right. You're right. And only like two hours of, and only like two hours in the 24 hour period is sleep time. The rest is moving around and playing and being a horse. So it's amazing. And out of that two hour period, they're only actually really sleeping for 20 minutes. Really? God, I wish I could do that. I know, right? (laughs) Gosh. Um, See, the thing is, though, is I'm really glad that you say that because it makes, I don't, what I've done with my horses and my trainers, the only kind of backing that I have it is what I've done with or, or, um, people before because science tells us that if you, you know, drink a protein shake or eat a piece of chicken or whatever, as a person, anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour after you work out, the protein is able to move through your body quicker and repair muscles easier. Mm-hmm. But if you wait 
and you're not properly hydrated, then you stay sore for longer. Yes. After you eat protein. And I really, really try, I very, very much try to treat my training horses and my personals like athletes because that's the way that I ride them. They're ridden like athletes. They are athletes. They are. Even and if they're so a pasture pet and you only pull them out once in a while, they're still considered an athlete because they still exactly. need to move. Yes, and the load that they are under when they are moving or when they're working or anything is much greater than anything that we could ever consider as people. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Because, and, you know, I just, again, I'm not trying to bash anybody. I'm just giving my own opinions that I've developed. I really, again, try to treat my horses like athletes, and with that comes good feed, chiropractic work, and body work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I throw in some red light therapy if I have injuries and, you know, soft tissue injuries that I'm trying to deal with or combat. Um, but all that stuff, I mean, I hear a lot of people say that it's just, you know, snake oil, but I've seen it work. No, I agree. So what a horse, like, if you think about it, a horse in, in the wild, they constantly have a full stomach because they're constantly, they're constantly grazing. So even if they're grazing, they decide to run crazy for the next two miles and then go back to eating, nothing's changed in their habit. But the second they, they start having an empty stomach, which happens two hours when they're starved, when they don't have any food, it only takes them two hours to have an empty stomach. And at that yep. two hour period, they start to have to work harder to help protect their stomach lining because they need mm-hmm. to stimulate sal- saliva um, because mm-hmm. of the uh, the acidic reflex that their stomach's going to have. So it's literally eating their stomach, which... And that's how ulcers happen. Exactly. So everybody's giving their horses stuff for ulcers, and they're doing this, and they're giving... Like, there's, like, ten different things they're giving in the grain. But it's so right. simple. Feed your oh, horse yeah. free choice. Yes. And then yes. that's it. See. Oh, my gosh, I know. And that's... <sighs> That's one of the things that I feel like I get a little bit preachy. <laughs> That's my fault when I bring client horses in for training. Because no matter what feed program they're on, I tell them, I'm like, listen, if you want your horse to be successful, healthy, and happy when they're in my program, which is what I want for them, but if you want that, this is what needs to be fed. And yep. this is what I give the option to feed. And if you want to feed that, that's awesome. If you don't, then that's not my problem. Because, you know... <sighs> We have always fed our horses free choice. And the first time that I ever got to experience one feeding a day or two feedings a day is when I started boarding at places. You see how crazy those horses are? The second that oh tro- the second they hear the trolley or just hear the grain door open, they're they get crazy. So yes, exactly. And it's because they're Uh, yeah everybody's like oh they're excited to eat it's dinner time no those horses are literally starving so when i had horses come in for training or board back a couple years ago when i was doing it um all my horses i had seven personal horses myself and all in a huge field they're all together um i believe that you know they're gonna, it's a packing order. They're going to figure it out. Yep. It's going to take a day. Yep. You know, like I, I prevent as much as I can, but at the end of the day, I can't prevent everything. Now, if right. they really, really hate each other, I'll put them in the pasture next door, and then they'll spend a few days running along the fence to each other, and mm-hmm. they're fine. But anyways, so they're all on free choice. Now, when a new horse came in, 
I had to, that horse, of course, is going to go crazy on the hay bale because they're like, oh my God, so much food. I need to eat as much as I can, as fast as I can before it runs out, before I know, because I'm going to starve for the next few hours. That's their logic. So eating, so they're eating very quick. So if you paid attention to the stalls, when they get their two, three flakes per feeding twice, maybe sometimes three times a day, um, that those three flakes are gone within the 20 minute spam. Yes. And so number one is they're rushing, eating so quickly, and then they're starving for a long period of time because the next feeding is in like six hours, maybe sometimes 12 hours if it was a night feeding. Yep. yep. Anyways, which blows my mind. So when that horse would come in, I would, there would be some free choice hay, but I'd kind of try to give them a, they'd eat really, really quick in the first few days, which mm-hmm. would go through more hay. But once after a few days, they realize, like, okay, this woman's not starving me. These horses aren't going crazy for their hay. They're limiting each other. They go and grab a few bites. They go run around and play. They go back. Oh, then that's when you start saving hay. I can eat whenever I want to. Exactly. Yes, yes. Do you have, it's the same thing with a human. If you only eat one meal a day, day, that meal that you're eating is going to be, like, four big plates all stuffed into one. Yes, because your stomach shrinks, because what happens when you put yourself into starvation mode, which, again, just like you said, is the same thing with horses. When you put yourself into starvation mode, that means that your stomach shrinks because it is allowing, you know, it's allowing itself to work more off of less, basically. Like, basically what happens is if it's given the opportunity, it starts, you know, using fat, as an energy source Mm -hmm. which is i think that's behind the whole ketogenic thing bullshit diet (laughs) that everybody's got going on right now but um it's it's ultimately just better if you keep yourself fed because your body will regulate itself the way that it needs to if you just keep food in your stomach yeah that's why i'm constantly snacking like right now i've got a bag of popcorn next to me but it's that simple popcorn that's like really like natural there's no additives it's literally plain popcorn it's just enough carbohydrates that you're feeding both your body and your brain exactly so, and i think i'm at like 120 ounces of water since i woke up so see yes exactly that oh my gosh that is one of the biggest things that my athletes that i used to train and my horses too that i try and instill upon them the best i can drink your gosh dang water now I i'm mean, s- oh my goodness now i'm saying that today but tomorrow might be different where i might not eat and maybe drink a cup of water i'm horrible my horses my dog eat a lot better than i do and my baby of oh, course yeah. but i like sometimes i'll forget to eat in a day just because i've got so much going on and i, I sit down and my boyfriend's making supper and i'm like he's like oh what'd you eat today i'm like oh fuck oh, oh whoops <laughs> uh, nothing i didn't actually eat today whoops <laughs> no exactly See, I'm, I'm the exact same way i have such a difficult time because i get so i call it tunnel vision i get so yep ingratiated with my horses and you know the animals that I have and what I have to do to take care of them and keep them alive especially on days like oh let's see what was it the first of the year it was bitter cold here 100% now oh gosh when we tell this to people now what I say when I say this to people I say don't look at my lifestyle habit look at my horse's lifestyle habit take what I Take what I show you from them and what I say, and that's how you should do it. Don't base it off of what I look like. What I look like, right? No, because I am giving every ounce of my 
myself to take care of these horses. Like, I promise. Oh, yes. Oh, God, yeah. And, See, oh. that's my favorite thing, though, is, like, I love going out to the barn and... Meal prepping. Like, I, yes, I love meal prepping, and I love when they come in at night because... I, here, I'm going to put a pin in this, and we're going to talk about it later. We're going to talk about nighttime turnout All right, later. go for it. But um, right now, I just want to say that I love... I think this is what has done it for me, because I, I hear a lot of trainers that say they just get burnt out in the industry and burnt out on training horses, and for me, even with my interns, I try and tell them, listen, don't lose your love for this, because if you lose your love for this, you're going to want to quit. I did. For me, I I know I know sorry. what you're I know what you're talking about. I did. Right, and for me, one of the things that helps me not lose my love for it is my personal horses. Mm-hmm. And I go to the barn and I look at at night when everybody's getting fed and eating and all that good stuff. Everybody's happy and warm and you know in their in their little stalls. I look at them and I'm like, man, that is one of the best looking horses yes. I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they, and when I say looking, I don't mean confirmation wise. I was a judge in college. I mean, I don't mean confirmation wise. I don't mean. No, you know, you're talking about their oh, spirit. Exactly. I'm talking about they've got a light in their eyes that I don't see with many other performance or lots of other horses i mean these guys i know they have a job and i know that they're happy with their job but they would perform a lot better if they were happier at home yes and in life in general that's what people don't understand they're like oh well i'm i'm training it it's fed everything like that okay but do you have a connection with your horse have you sat down and understood your horse a or lot. are you just listening to Clinton Anderson's videos and then spitting out whatever he says and trying to <laughs> train your horse? Or do you have a genuine mental connection? Like, I, that's one of my things that I am trying my hardest to get better at every day, every day, is developing my mental connection with these horses, yes. not just physical, because I want to be able to have a hold of their mind and make sure that they're happy. You know, because that's that's what I do with my interns. That's what I do when I try and give lessons, teach people. I've gotten good at it with people. But I want to be able to do that same thing with my horses because I know that if they're happy, they're going to progress so much better. Now, what is your secret to teach people? I haven't succe- succeeded in that because oh, I, I had to stop boarding and training. When my parents sold the farm, I was actually pretty thankful for it because of all the horror things yeah. that happened with the boarding and sometimes well I didn't have many training horses in at the time because I was too many boarding horses oh yeah oh gosh and like I think what is your trick (laughs) what's the secret I first of all so my I'll, I'll start at the beginning and I'll give you I'll try and hopefully give you a clear answer by the end of it but my dad who was my role model taught me a lot of what I know about horses um pretty much my best friend passed away in January 2020 um in fact his death anniversary is coming up what day is today in two days yay (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard anybody say woo on that (laughs) no it's definitely not a woo thing it's just you know but anyway 
he passed away and that was very hard for me. I was dealing with something that I didn't know how to deal with. I had never lost somebody so close to me before. And I think that grief kind of takes a hold of you in a way that Mm -hmm. I don't want to say anything else does because there are definitely other mental illnesses or happenings that can really affect a person. But for me, grief was one of the hardest things that I ever had to deal with. And so I ended up going to therapy for it. And I think that because I ended up going to therapy and started delving more into religion and stability and all those wonderful things, I think that that really helped me get my mind right. So that helped me be able to become a a coach you know (laughs) rather than just somebody that can tell you you know that you're riding your horse incorrectly and this is the solution but not only that am I able to do that I'm able to make friends with the people I'm also very selective about the people that I bring in for lessons I mean I they kind of go through a very scrutinous screening (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I don't blame you on that. I make sure. Sorry. I don't blame you on that. I did lessons again this summer because I was pregnant. So I was like, oh, I'm, I can't train. So I may as well go give lessons. And I I ended up quitting because of the people. I was just like, this isn't my people. They're clearly not, Mm -hmm. they don't like what I have to teach. And no, it's not worth it. Right. Exactly. Which is so disappointing because you really want everybody because you know, in my mind, <laughs> from what I, from my perspective, what I'm doing works. Yep. I'm not saying that it's the only correct way to do it, but it works. It produces good horses. And when I coach people about how I ride, it produces good riders that can communicate clearly. And when... <clears throat> When I get in people that, you know, say, like, for one one of those, you know, things that I like to take into account before they come into lessons is I don't really take in kids anymore because they're not, they're not done cooking yet. They're not done growing up. They don't have control over their body quite yet. They don't have control of their mind quite yet. And I just, I want to deal with something that, you know, I can really... If you have to push, you can push. Yes, and, and give I can your really opinion. At, and I can really ask these very deep questions, and they can sit there. My clients can sit there and think about it and say, "Oh, I guess I never really thought about it like that." Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, I have I have one gal who is one of my favorite persons to give lessons to. I started out giving her lessons, and she became my intern. And we definitely just were one of those. It was one of those relationships that we just connected, and I knew that she wanted to be on the same track that I could provide, you know? Mm-hmm. And this person in particular, we started we started setting goals for our rides. And instead of just, you know, sitting there and we're going to do this and this and this today, we started setting a goal of, I want you to look for this in the horse like, she, she bought her own um, little, let's see, I think she's two in February, Philly, and she wants to rope off of her eventually. So I said, okay, let me help you start her, and she said, yes, that's what I want to do. 
And so while she's here with me interning and riding these colts that I have, I'm asking her to look at these horses, and I want you, what I would tell her is, I want you to look for a sign that they understand what you're asking, but also give them the opportunity to sit back and think. You know what I'm saying? No, I agree with you. You know, I've I've noticed... So I'm from Quebec, and a lot of people think differently. They have the performance head on their horse needs to be pushed as fast as it can, as young as it can, so it can perform as best, as quick as it can. And the, I never, ever agreed with that. The fraturity things, I am not really for at all. If they, honestly, if they could push the fraturities one year, I think it would make a big, big difference on the horse. See, the reason, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second, the reason that I have that I say that I don't know how I feel about securities is because I have horses right now that are ranch heritage classic eligible and the ranch heritage classic through AQHA I think is a fabulous thing because they can start showing but they have to be three to start showing that's not so it's not so bad I would I would go more for four yes but, you know, the way that I have always started my horses is I'll put a quick 90 days on them as a two-year-old and then just let them grow up for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, the, and the reason that I do it like that is because they have the opportunity to have their boundaries and know, you know, what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do and all that. But anyway, back to the ranch heritage thing. I really like what they are doing right now. Because they don't, from what I understand, now I haven't read, read into this a whole lot. I'm going to have to look into it. I haven't heard about that one yet. Right? And I also can't get people from AQHA to call me back. <clears throat> of course. Uh-huh. But, you know. I've heard, this, I've heard the stories three, four months, sometimes a year to get paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting kind of... I don't know what the deal is. AQHA used to be such a wonderful, on top of everything kind of company. And now they're just kind of, I think they're slipping a little bit. I think they're overwhelmed. I think they need to open up another bureau and maybe hire some more staff. Yes, that would be a great idea because it, you know, I really think that you're right as they are getting overwhelmed. But anyway, so with the ranch heritage thing, these horses, it's sort of like the, I remember I mentioned to you, maybe, I think the ruby buckle and the pink buckle and all that stuff. So that is a, um, it's an incentive barrel race usually for like um it's it's a security so it's like coming two-year-old studs and mares from what i understand of it i'm not a barrel racer but that's from what i understand of it i'm a barrel racer and i don't understand it my friend trying to explain it to me and i'm just struggling with it yeah i don't go ahead I, i don't see the logic in it right it's more money for futurities, but like, so for the ranch heritage thing, the thing that I appreciate about it is they give incentives to show as a three-year-old, not a two-year-old. So what has to happen for this horse to be eligible is they have to be paid as a weanling, a one-year-old, and a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. And then when they are paid out, that's when they can start competing. So again, it's kind of similar to the ruby buckle and the pink buckle and all that good mm. stuff and the... What's the new one that they have now? The Riata Buckle, I think. Oh, I did but, not uh, hear about that one. I know Ruby, uh, Pink, um, 
Down here we have two more. They're French names. I can't remember what the hell their names are. Oh, okay. Um, and then there's other ones too. I've noticed some people have been writing like their letters and stuff. Like they stand for something. I don't know what it is. But I'm not in the fraternity world at all. And it's it's mind blowing how different that world is, even though it's the oh same gosh. discipline. Yes, it makes you want to tear your hair out, doesn't it? It's just like, so like, I'll be re- like, I, I love, I'm obsessed at looking at horses for sale, even though I can't afford one right now. <laughs> and so I'm reading their descriptions and I'm like, okay, I, it's got awesome paperwork. I know all these bloodlines, but what the hell is all this? Oh, paid into this, uh, eligible for this and that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't care about what it's eligible for. I care about the bloodlines. Right. Like, I'm not going to go show it. And that's the thing is that I... <sighs> The showing community, I truly do believe that there are good people in it, and I want to believe that there are people that treat their horses well, but the showing community kind of makes me want to rip my hair out, because, gosh, it's just, everybody is so dramatic, and I am a very low drama person myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I just can't handle the, I understand the time. It's like high school. Yes. It is. High school drama is what I did, what I call it. Now, we are probably going to get a lot of hate for bashing these kind of people, but they bash us. And that's the thing is that I understand where they're coming from because they want to show off what their horse can do on a base level. But everything else that comes with that just concerns me a little bit because, again, like I said, I've been to some of these ranch ranch heritage shows and, like, the Art of the Cowgirl to their little World's Greatest Horsewoman thing that they do, I think that's great. I think it's awesome. I think it's a great opportunity for people that don't really show that much mm-hmm. to kind of just go in there and show off these amazing ranch broke horses that can do just as well sometimes as these performance horses. Well, I'm really, I, this sounds really interesting. Like, I'm going to look into this for sure because I have not heard about that. Like I said, again, I'm in Quebec and down here it's very showy preppy kind of yep yep and so like i i don't even know how to rope like my boyfriend's teaching me how to rope right now like everything he's like the more and more i talk to people like especially on the podcast and how they train and everything like that i'm like just mind blown on how on how they train their horses um everybody's got such a different way of doing it yeah it's it's insane like my boyfriend he's from alberta and he was telling me a few things, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Like, a lot of these people, like, they'll break, like, 10, 15 colts in a round, in, in an arena. They'll saddle the mole up and throw them out loose, and then there'll be a few riders on well-broke horses just chasing the horses around. I'm like, oh, my God, that's not safe. Like, that's unlogical. Like, where's the, where, I like, I bash the, the crap out of it. And then, oh, yeah. and then, um, I think I, who was I talking to? I think it was Reed. Sykes yeah and yep. Yep. I'm pretty sure it was him anyways I'd have to go back and listen to the conversation but he was telling um was telling me about it and then I'm, I'm listening to it and then I saw some videos and then I'm he, the way he explained it I could just picture it in my head I'm like oh okay that makes more sense of course yeah. like <clears throat> and then I was like okay well then I start like my boyfriend was trying to apply that method this summer to some client horses we had but it's at a performance uh-huh. barn, and I I know how to train horses performance. That's how yep. I learned. But yep. <clears throat> I've been slowly applying my own method to it and stuff like that. 
And so he was trying to do that, and I was always, like, saying, like, no, no, I... And then all of a sudden, then I told him, whatever, do whatever you want. I'm sitting here on the sidelines, pregnant as hell. You're not going to listen to me. Whatever, fine. It's just going to end up into an argument. And I was seeing the results, but I wasn't seeing them fully to the potential. And when... I'm pretty sure it was Reed. Anyways, um, when they explained it to me just a different way, I was just like, whoa, okay. Well, and when you come to that realization, you're like, wow, why haven't I done it like this before? And it's so simple. It of is. Co- like, why wasn't it? Why wasn't I able? Like, to, I still why have. Wasn't I able to figure this out before? Like, I still have nothing against. Like, I believe if a horse has good ground manners, there's no reason for it to buck in the saddle when you get on it. Yes. Like, I, I still believe in the round pen work and all that stuff like that, but just the way he put that, I was just, like, mind-blown. Like, why doesn't anybody do that around here? Then I started asking questions to some trainers down here, and they're just like, because that's, the, that's a redneck way. We don't do that. We're professionals here. No. And see, I, that gets to their mind. They have something to look at. They have something to say, oh... This horse right here isn't throwing a fit. The saddle horse isn't throwing a fit. So why do I need to? Here it comes all back to our. It comes all back to our original conversation. The horses, we domesticated these horses. They are still wild in their brain, in their stomach, mm-hmm. digestive, everything. So when they mm-hmm. see, they're gonna listen to other horses. So when they see those three, four other horses saddled up with a rider on them, calm, just kind of trotting around. What are they going to do? They're just going to be like, oh, okay, this is cool. Okay. We're good. I don't need to panic. Well, because when you really think about it, from the standpoint of what a horse is thinking when they first get a saddle on them, the reason typically that they blow up is because they think that they're being attacked. They think that there is something wrapped around them that is going to kill them. Not, mm-hmm. not anything else like that. They go back to a very instinctual standpoint of, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. So I'm going to try and protect myself from that. I agree 100%. See, right. But when they see that there's all these other cults around them and there's a saddle horse. And I think that there should be a certain amount of prep that comes with that. That your saddle horse needs to be broke, broke. <laughs> But um, when they see all that, that the saddle horse isn't having a fit, and none of these other horses are having a fit, like maybe one will throw a leg up every now and then and say, oh, this may be a little more uncomfortable, blah, 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 blah. They really start to figure it out so much faster, though, when they have another horse to learn from, which is why I like patience poles. I think that they are the greatest invention for cold starting ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they're the ones fighting against themselves. Yes, exactly. And the thing is is that I think that the location of a patient's pole is pretty important too. Because while they're sitting there, you know, having their little discussion with themselves, if they have the opportunity to look at a horse in the round pen or look at a horse in the arena, they're not just sitting there doing nothing. They're sitting there and they're learning from what they're seeing. No, no, they're studying. They're constantly looking at their environment and what's going on. Constantly. And that's the thing that I love about those patience polls is they give them the opportunity to stand there. Some of the best horses that I've ever started in my life spent so much time on a patience pole. And I mean, when I say so much time, I mean every day. What I would do is I would 
you know, everybody would get fed, and I would start pulling horses out to get worked. And I would pull one horse out and then work them, and they got to stand on the patient's pole while I was working the next horse for the entirety of when I was working the next horse. And then it just rotates from there. No, they, Like, they, I think that that... Even though... Sorry? Even though you weren't actually working that horse, they're watching you work another one, and you were working them from the sidelines. Yes, and I love it when I have horses that are, that are getting started all at the same time, because nine times out of ten, the next horse that I'll be working will be working on something similar as the horse that's sitting on the patient's pole. So with that horse that's sitting on the patient's pole, they're seeing what they just worked on again and they're having another opportunity to think about it and you know look at it and say oh wait I think I just did that that's the way that this horse is reacting like good or bad I think it could go either way no that's a great way of putting it for sure they it's that's how they learn is by time and there you guys have it for part one. I apologize again that this is going to be in multiple sections. My editing skills are still a work in progress. This podcast has been really challenging, but it's been amazing at the same time because it's put me in contact with some amazing people. And I really hope you guys get into contact with these people and follow them on social media because they have so much to teach us. And it's just, it's great to have these this many people in our industry more than willing to give us techniques and their opinions and how they do things to help us better the way we work our horses and it's just a whole learning curve for everybody so i hope you guys enjoy this i'm excited to release part two which i think will be released probably in a few days i'm just gonna put a gap in between not to overwhelm you guys but there's a lot of things getting talked about with our episodes and we are going to record a third episode to try to end our little mini series we started with jessica which is awesome i have nothing bad to say about it because i've been enjoying it and i hope you guys do too now don't forget to follow us on social media at the wild sorel and i will put jessica's link into the bio have a great weekend guys and see you next week